This morning, we're going to continue our conversation centered on holiday light as we look at what I'm calling the inside light of Christmas and what the Christmas story has to offer us within the context of what light, L-I-G-H-T, represents for us this month. The idea of living inside God's highest truth. The inside story of Christmas might not be something we look at all that often because we're so busy with the outside or the outer trappings of the holidays. It's easy to get wrapped up in it, so to speak. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. The cheese starts flowing at the beginning of the sermon, and I generally get it under control fairly soon. So that was it. My guess, though, is that I am not alone in being a little behind in... um, our holiday to-do lists. Am I alone? Tell me I'm not alone. Okay, good. Thank you. I feel much better because I am a lot behind (laughs) in mine. I have purchased a handful of gifts um, and I haven't wrapped a single one. Anybody else quite that far in the boat? Okay. I love that. Um, Bags. Bags. I see that. I have not even decided what veggie dish I'm bringing to the feast, and that should have been an easy one, right? So for all of you who have things to do, and for those of you who may be hanging out with me in minor panic mode because of all that is still left to do, here's a great affirmation. It's one that I turn to sometimes when I let my task list start bullying me, and it does. And that is, God is directing my every step and blessing all of my activities I am on a divine schedule, and all unfolds in perfect timing. Anyone want that again? Because, yeah? Okay, do it. Do it after me. God is directing my every step. And blessing all of my activities. I am on a divine schedule. And all unfolds in perfect timing. Now I have to ask, who here is completely ready for Christmas? Anybody? We got one. Anybody else? No? We got one. I was going to have a treat for the people who were on top of it, but I didn't get to the part of my list that reminded me to buy them. So um, if you come see me at the Christmas Eve service or on Christmas Day, I'll have something for you. Maybe. Probably maybe. Um, It's good that some of us have the outside story of Christmas under control, right? And of course we know that gift giving and cookie baking and parties and visiting with friends and neighbors and all of those other wonderful things that happen this time of year, but those aren't the real story of Christmas, right? As wonderful as they are, they're not the real reason we do all of these things and celebrate. Christmas, of course, is the story of the birth of Jesus, a lovely and poignant story that beautifully opens our hearts and minds to the gratitude we feel for all we've learned from the master teacher, Jesus. As the story goes, he was born in a stable because there was no room in the inn. Wise men and a shepherd followed a star to be with him. And as colorful as this story may be, believe it or not, this too 
is an outside story of Christmas. To get inside, we must catch that spirit realized by Brother Angelus Silesius, the medieval mystic poet who said, if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times and not in thee thyself, then thou art lost eternally. Or as Ernest Holmes once wrote, the radiant glory of new dawn, the Christ within who is reborn. Of course, the inside story of Christmas, the inside light of Christmas, is allowing the Christ consciousness to be born in us. And when we look at the symbology inside the Christmas story, we are given a roadmap to birthing the Christ within, to living in the light. In fact, the elements of the Christmas story can have a deep personal meaning to each of us, beyond their literal meaning. So let's look at three of them. And then we're going to look at how we can apply them to our lives in a very real and personal way. So first, let's explore them briefly. First, no room in the inn. Okay, someone recently asked me the question. It was one of the kids at Barnhart, as a matter of fact. They asked, why was Jesus born in a manger? Why wasn't there room in the inn? And that really gave me pause, because... It may be introspective. In Bethlehem, it was not the innkeeper's fault that there was no room. The matter was simply a lack of space. So, metaphysically, what could the inn symbolize? Could it perhaps symbolize our minds and hearts? Is there room in our minds and hearts for the reflection of the Christ within us? Is there room in our minds and hearts for all that Jesus the Christ stood for? Is there room in our minds and hearts for God's highest truths to reign? And that begs the question, what are God's highest truths? To really understand them, it's important to look within. To really search for how they relate to our personal truths so that we can realize them. We can actualize them. So first, there's love. Ask yourself, is there room for love or are you filled with past wounds and hurts and expectations and conditions? Then peace. Is there room for peace or are you filled with unrest and upset and worry and doubt? Forgiveness and compassion, is there room for forgiveness and compassion or are you filled with resentment and anger? Acceptance, is there room for acceptance or are you filled with judgment? Miracles, that's a big one. Is there room to welcome and receive and embrace miracles or are you too filled with fear and attachment? Deeper understanding and learning. Is there room or is ego so involved that nothing else can come in? Are you so attached to being right that no deepening can occur? Wondrous possibilities. To me, this ties right in with those miracles we just talked about. So is there room for wondrous possibilities or are you too tied to what can't be done? rather than what can. I'm going to get real intimate with my relations to those a little later. 
So don't think that I'm asking the questions only of you. And if you've been coming here a while, you know that I could go on and on, but you get the idea, so I won't. <laughs> Consider that a Hanukkah gift. But hold on to these ideas of making room within your mind and heart for God's highest truths as we look at the second symbol this morning, and that is the idea of shepherds tending their flock. So there they were, diligently standing watch over their flock when the angel of the Lord came to them to tell them that a very, very special child was born. So let's ask ourselves, how are we like shepherds watching our flock? Metaphysically, what could our flock be? It's not watching out for other people and telling them what to do. I know that was the obvious choice. But our flock, I think, is made up of our thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and attitudes. We must lovingly watch over our flock. We must keep it under control, not let it run rampant. Keep the flock safe. Keep the flock focused on God's highest truths. Especially important when things appear to go in a direction that we don't like. It's easy to stay positive and God-centered when all is going well, but not quite so easy when they aren't, right? It's easy to think positive things about our health when we feel well, but if illness or physical pain strike, all of a sudden, fear jumps in. It's easy to believe what we teach here when things are going well on the outside. It's when they're not that we need to be especially mindful of what's going on on the inside. And tending the flock also means to do what we need to do in the world. It was the shepherd's job to tend the flock. It is our job as spiritual beings having a human experience to tend to the human experience as we need to do. To be good stewards of our vehicle, our bodies, and of our flow of abundance. To do, to go, to give to remain open to receive as we need to. So tuck those ideas away for now as we look at the final symbol. This is the three wise men. When I was going through stuff in the bookstore to get things ready to open up, I found a bunch of old Science of Mind magazines. And of course, being me, <laughs> I perused a few and jotted down things I found especially striking. And in a piece which appeared in a very weathered, darn near falling apart issue from December of 1950. Ernest Holmes wrote, and I'm so shocked I was able to find this note, let me just say. He wrote, the wise men, the magi, represent the intellect which goes in search after truth. That intelligence in all of us which knows that God is not far off. That something within us which feels with a feeling deep as life itself that the holy babe of Bethlehem ought to be born in each one of us anew. And the wise men followed their intuition, led of God, until they too came to the manger where the child lay. What do the wise men represent for us? The divine intelligence and divine intuition inside all of us that can lead and direct us to the Christ within, to God's highest truths, if we but let it. But we must listen to it and we must follow it. Just as the wise men followed the star that rose in the east, so we must follow our divine intelligence and intuition. 
Following it might not be at all convenient. It may not always make others happy. It may seem counterproductive or selfish. That's true. But when true divine intelligence and intuition shine upon us, like that star from the east shone upon the wise men, we are most, most wise to follow it. So to recap, we've got no room at the end. This symbolizes having our hearts and mind open and available to express God's highest truths. We have the shepherds tending their flocks, symbolizing the need for us to watch over our thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and keep them focused on the highest truths, especially when circumstances look scary, and to be good stewards of this earthly expression known as our lives. That is not my phrase, by the way, and I can't remember whose it was, so I didn't note it. Third, we have the wise men. That was Symbolic of the divine intelligence, the intuition that is available to us, and how we find the Christ light when we listen and follow, even if outer circumstances suggest we do otherwise. And I want to look at them in a more intimate way. So let's, let's take a personal look at the wise men symbology, that divine intelligence. As many of you know, I have been following a calling that I had been mostly content to ignore for far too many decades. (laughs) And I've been taking on more and more as I'm led to act. And although I can't imagine doing anything I love more or find more fulfilling to do, I've begun to realize that there is such a thing as too much. Through the last year and a half, as my dad down there has been gradually urging me forward and encouraging me to embrace more and more responsibility, he's also made a point of reminding me not to take on too much, not to let myself get burned out. And I've listened, sometimes. Okay, occasionally, I have definitely taken on more than he'd like to see me balance all at once. I get excited, and the ball gets rolling, and takes me with it. He and Amalia have been diligently trying to assist me in finding ways to accomplish all that I want to without doing it all on my own. And I'm gradually learning how to accept help. But the last couple of weeks have been especially busy for me. And I have found myself having to play catch up on the less immediate tasks. And although it's been wonderfully rewarding, all of the work, it's also been kind of exhausting which is why I am finally listening to those who love me and to my inner voice and to that oft-ignored logical little person in my head who's been telling me to give things away so that I'm open to receive. Yes, that's exactly what I said in our talk last week. It reminds me of the very words I use so often when I speak to those who come to me for guidance, which still shocks me. People come to me for guidance. Wow. What I say is you can't be open to receive if your hands are already full. you got to put something down. So how am I listening? First, by asking the board to let me add someone to the growth committee at the board meeting this afternoon. Second, by getting behind my mom and dad's inspired thought, talk about divine intelligence operating there, to restart spigot so that others can join in the fun and help carry the load. And lastly... And this is going to be a big one, and somebody might have to hold me to it. 
Lastly, by taking as much of the next couple of weeks off as I can manage without falling behind on all the things we've got planned for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and New Year's Day. I'm going to push my worries aside, trust in God to bring the good, and take time to rest, enjoy my family, and maybe even do some fun stuff. I'm letting God steer the ship for a few days. And it doesn't sound like much, but those who know me well can tell you that my ability to sit still and let life happen without trying to get in on the action It's about the closest thing to impossible for me as anything could be, right? I'm listening to all the great many ways Spirit has been telling me to prioritize me. And it's a good thing. On to the symbology of the shepherds tending their flocks, the need to watch our thoughts. You see, my monkey mind, it says that it doesn't seem too smart for me to be off campus or out of the office given our financial experience right now. If you were here for our annual member meeting a couple of weeks ago, you are no doubt aware of the more than precarious state of our financial affairs. Not just our church finances, but also Barnhart School. All signs point to the need for desperate measures. And I've been really really stressed out. Tears have been shed. Well, not tears, because my tear ducts don't work like normal people's, but there there was crying, and it was ugly. It never is pretty with me. I was caught up in the numbers and the blame games that were being played. Now, we've known that things were tight for a while now, and we've been doing things to try to get ahead of it, And up until recently, I had managed to steadfastly maintain my belief that something amazing was on its way that would save the day. And I didn't know what those wonderful heroics would look like, but I knew it was coming and it was going to be great. And then we hit the point where things were critical. Things were not getting better and our future began to look bleak. And I let the fear in. It was during a recent Zoom meeting, just prior to the membership meeting, that it all hit me in a different way. You see, for most of the meeting, I was listening. And as I listened, I allowed myself to feel fear and anger and still more fear. And it was almost overwhelming. At one point, I messaged my husband who was in the meeting, and he'd said, you can speak. And I said, if I do, I'll either yell or cry. And that was the truth in that moment. But toward the end of that meeting, an affirmation came to me, and it came quite out of nowhere, and it was loud and crystal clear, fully formed, and it was, miracles do happen, and ours is on its way, gaining momentum with every second. And I kept repeating it. And I kept repeating it, and I started sharing it with anyone who would listen. And in doing all of that, I remembered who I am, who we are, and I began to let go. And through that letting go, I became aware of conflicts in the vision and intention which this campus was founded upon. And I realized that all of this mess, it's a result of those conflicting intentions, and that the mess is the key to allowing those conflicts to fall away, 
to gently recede so that the vision of Ethel Barnhart, of Ernest Holmes, who was instrumental in the founding of this place, of Margaret Stevens, and of all the amazing leaders we have had throughout the years, so that that vision can be renewed, stronger and more impassioned than ever. More and more, I find myself, as time progresses through this, reflecting on one of my favorite science of mind quotes of Ernest Holmes, and that is, to the one who can practice perfect inaction, all things are possible. And I've reformed what that means to me. It does not mean to the one who can just sit back and say, you drive this, you've got it, I'll sit here and do whatever you want. No, practicing perfect inaction means actively knowing that only good can come out of any situation and actively holding that vision, holding on to that belief, not the thought, but the belief that all things lead to good. That is perfect in action. So we must tend our flock by staying centered in truth and by being good stewards. So room in the inn symbology, hearts and minds open. We must make sure there's room in our hearts and minds for God's abundance and love to flow through us. And I've learned a wonderful lesson about the ability of my ego to jump in and try to steer a ship which was not and never has been and never will be in my control. And I've learned to check that pesky ego whenever it decides to make itself known again. I hope it doesn't, but it probably will. This experience, all of this seeming chaos and crisis, all of the number-crunching points, um, it's calling us to a higher, a higher place, to a greater oneness with God. What else wants to be expressed here? What are God's highest truths about this place, our spiritual home, and the spiritual home of literally thousands who've come before us in the past almost 75 years? Now is the time to open our hearts and minds so that we can stand strong in those truths. And I want to speak them out loud. It is my belief that there is power in speaking words of positive affirmation, in speaking words of truth and love, words of vision and purpose out loud. In my experience, saying things like that right out loud in the open, it makes them real. It kind of greases the wheels so that our greatest good rushes to us faster and faster with each word and each repetition. So here are our truths as I see them. The Santa Anita Church and its Barnhart School are God's divine idea in expression. We are providing spiritual community to a world so very much in need of it. We are unity in action, in word, thought, and deed. We are here to serve as a beacon of light in our community and beyond, and we shall continue to shine for many decades to come. Through the ripple effect, we have touched thousands of lives over the past nearly three quarters of a century. That sounds even bigger, doesn't it? We'll officially be 75 on May 1st. That's big. We are open to evolving into even greater greatness. Open to the answers to the question, what deeper truths are we to know and live through this experience together? We are being called 
into something so much more powerful than we are right now. I'd like to invite you to share these truths about this place we all love so dearly, to revisit and focus upon them at every opportunity, and even more, I invite you to take some time during the next week amidst all of the hustle and bustle and to-do lists, the celebrations and the excitement of the season, take some time to reflect on all the ways the inside story of Christmas applies to your life so that you can become all that you wish to be, so that your light can shine more and more brightly with each passing day and each new discovery of self. And I know right now, in this very moment, that in every area of our lives, individually, collectively, as a member of this Santa Anita Church spiritual family, and as a member of the family of all creation, our greatest good is rushing toward us, gaining momentum with every passing second. So let it be. And so it is. Amen.